we're going to do a small collection of fairy tales by Jakob and Wilhelm Grimm. So the text is based on translations from the Grimm brothers by Edgar Taylor and Marion Edwards. Our first story will be The Twelve Dancing Princesses. There was a king who had twelve beautiful daughters. They slept in twelve beds all in one room, and when they went to bed, the doors were shut and locked up, but every morning their shoes were found to be quite worn through, as if they had been dancing they had danced they had been danced in all night, and yet nobody could find out how it happened or where they had been. Then the king made it known to all the land that if any person could discover the secret and find out where it was that the princesses danced in the night, he should have the one he liked best for his wife, and should be king after his death. But whoever tried and did not succeed, after three days and nights, should be put to death. A king's son soon came. He was well entertained, and in the evening was taken to the chamber next to the one where the princesses lay in their twelve beds. There he was to sit and watch where they went to dance, and, in order that nothing might pass without his hearing it, the door of his chamber was left open. But the king's son soon fell asleep, and when he awoke in the morning he found that the princesses had all been dancing, for the soles of their shoes were full of holes. The same thing happened the third and the second night, so the king ordered his head to be cut off. After him came several others, but they all had the same luck, and all lost their lives in the same manner. Now it chanced that an old soldier, who had been wounded in battle and could fight no longer, passed through the country where this king reigned, and as he was travelling through a wood, he met an old woman who asked him where he was going. "'I hardly know where I am going, or what I had better do,' said the soldier. "'But I think I should like very well to find out where it is that the princesses dance, "'and then in time I might be a king.' "'Well,' said the old dame, "'that is no very hard task. "'Only take care not to drink any of the wine which one of the princesses will bring to you in the evening, "'and as soon as she leaves you pretend to be fast asleep.' "'Then she gave him a cloak and said, as soon as you put that on, you will become invisible, and you will then be able to follow the princesses wherever they go. When the soldier heard all this good counsel, he determined to try his luck, so he went to the king and said he was willing to undertake the task. He was as well received as the others had been, and the king ordered fine royal robes to be given him, and when the evening came he was led to the outer chamber. Just he was, as he was going to lie down, the eldest of the princesses brought him a cup of wine, but the soldier threw it all away secretly, taking care not to drink a drop. Then he laid himself down in his bed, and in a very little while began to snore very loudly as if he was fast asleep. When the twelve princesses heard this, they laughed heartily, and the eldest said, This fellow too might have done a wiser thing than lose his life in this way. Then they rose up and opened their drawers and boxes, and took out all their fine clothes, and dressed themselves at the glass, and skipped about as if they were eager to begin dancing. But the youngest said, I don't know how it is. While you are so happy, I feel very uneasy. I am sure some mischance will befall us.
"'You simpleton,' said the eldest, "'you are always afraid. "'Have you forgotten how many king's sons "'have already watched in vain? "'And as for this soldier, "'even if I had not given him his sleeping draught, would "'he would have slept soundly enough.' "'When they were all ready, "'they went and looked at the soldier, "'but he snored on and did not stir a hand nor foot, "'so they thought they were quite safe, "'and the eldest went up to her bed and clapped her hands, and the bed sank into the floor, and a trap-door flew open. The soldiers saw them going down through the trap-door, one after another, the eldest leading the way, and, thinking he had no time to lose, he jumped up, put on the cloak which the old woman had given him, and followed them. But in the middle of the stairs he trod on the gown of the youngest princess, and she cried out to her sisters, "'All is not right! Someone took hold of my gown!' "'You silly creature,' said the eldest. "'It is nothing but a nail in the wall.' "'Then down they all went, "'and at the bottom they found themselves "'in a most delightful grove of trees, "'and the leaves were all of silver "'and glittered and sparkled beautifully. "'The soldier wished to take away "'some token of the place, "'so he broke off a little branch, "'and there came a loud noise from the tree. "'Then the youngest daughter said again, "'I am sure all is not right. "'Did you not hear that noise?' never happened before and the eldest said it is only our princes who are shouting for joy at our approach then they came to another grove of trees where all the leaves were of gold and afterwards to a third where all the leaves were of glittering diamonds and the soldier broke a branch from each and each time there was a loud noise which made the youngest sister tremble with fear but the eldest still said it was only the princes who were crying for joy so they went on till they came to a great lake, and at the side of the lake there lay twelve little boats with twelve handsome princes in, e in them, who seemed to be waiting there for the princesses. One of the princesses went into each boat, and the soldier stepped in the same boat as the youngest. As they were rowing over the lake, the prince who was in the boat with the youngest princess and the soldier said, I do not know why it is, but though I am rowing with all my might, I do not get on so fast as usual, and I am quite tired. The boat seems very heavy today. It is only the heat of the weather, said the princess. I feel it very warm too. On the other side of the lake stood a fine illuminated castle, from which came the merry music of horns and trumpets. There they all landed and went into the castle, and each prince danced with his princess, and the soldier, who was all the time invisible, danced with them too, and when any of the princesses had a cup of wine set by her, he drank it all up, so that when she put the cup to her mouth, it was empty. At this too, the youngest sister was terribly frightened, but the eldest always silenced her. They danced on till three o'clock in the morning, and then all their shoes were worn out, so that they were obliged to leave off. The princess rode them back over again the lake, but this time the soldier placed himself in the boat with the eldest princess, and on the opposite shore they took leave of each other, the princesses promising to come again the next night. When they came to the stairs, the soldier ran on before the princesses and laid himself down, and as the twelve sisters slowly came up, very much tired, they heard him snoring in his bed, so they said, Now all is quite safe. Then they undressed them themselves, put away their fine clothes, pulled off their shoes, and went to bed. In the morning, the soldier said nothing about what had happened, but determined to see more of this strange adventure, went again the second and third night, and everything happened just as before. The princesses danced each time till their shoes were worn to pieces, and then returned home. However, on the third night, 
the soldier carried away one of the golden cups as a token of where he had been. As soon as the time came when he was to declare the secret, he was taken before the king with the three branches and the golden cup, and the twelve princesses stood listening behind the door to hear what he would say. And when the king asked him, Where do my twelve daughters dance at night? He answered, With twelve princes in a castle underground. And then he told the king all that had happened and showed him the branches and the golden cup with which he had brought with him. Then the king called for the princesses and asked them whether that what the soldier had said was true. And when they saw what they had dis- that they were discovered and that it was of no use to deny what had happened, they confessed it all. And the king asked the soldier which of them he would choose for his wife. And he answered, I am not very young, so I will have the eldest. And they were married that very day, and the soldier was chosen to be the king's heir. Our next story from the Grimm's Fairy Tales will be Ashputu, which is their version of Cinderella. The wife of a rich man fell sick, and when she felt that her end drew nigh, she called her only daughter to her bedside and said, Always be a good girl, and I will look down from heaven and watch over you. Soon afterwards, she shut her eyes and died, and was buried in the garden. And the little girl went every day to her grave and wept, and was always good and kind to to all about her. And the snow fell and spread a beautiful white covering over the grave, but by the time the spring came, and the sun had melted it away again, her father had married another wife. This new wife had two daughters of her own that she brought home with her. They were fair in faith but foul at heart, and it was now a sorry time for the poor little girl. What does the good-for-nothing want in the parlour, said they? They who should eat bread should first earn it. Away with the kitchen maid. Then they took away her fine clothes and gave her an old grey frock to put on, and laughed at her and turned her into the kitchen. There she was forced to do hard work to rise early before daylight, to bring the water, to make the fire, to cook and to wash. Besides that, the sisters plagued her in all sorts of ways and laughed at her. In the evening, when she was tired, she had no bed to lie down on, but but was made to lie by by the hearth among the ashes. And as this, of course, always made her dusty and dirty, they called her Ashputl. It happened once that the father was going to the fair, and he asked his wife's daughters what he should bring them. Fine clothes, said the first. Pearls and diamonds, cried the second. Now, child, said he to his own daughter, what will you have? The first twig, dear father, that brushes against your hat when you turn your face to come homewards, said she. Then he brought for the first two the fine clothes and the pearls and diamonds he had asked for, and on his way home, as he rode through a green copse, A hazel twig brushed against him and almost pushed off his hat, so he broke it off and brought it away, and when he got home he gave it to his daughter. Then she took it and went to her mother's grave and planted it there, and cried so much that it was watered with her tears, and there it grew and became a fine tree. Three times every day she went to it and cried, and soon a little bird came and built its nest upon the tree, and talked with her and watched over her, and brought her whatever she wished for. Now it happened that the king of that land held a feast, 
which was to last three days, and out of those who came to it, his son was to choose a bride for himself. Ashpital's two sisters were asked to come, so they called her up and said, Now comb our hair, brush our shoes, and tie our sashes for us, for we are going to dance at the king's feast. Then she did as she was told, but when all was done, she could not help crying, for she thought to herself, she so would have liked to have gone with them to the ball. And at last she begged her mother very hard to go, let her go. You, Ashputtles, said she, you who have nothing to wear, no clothes at all, and who cannot even dance, you want to go to the ball. And when she kept on begging, she said at last to get rid of her, I will throw this dishful of peas into the ash heap, and if in two hours' time you have picked them all out, you shall go to the feast too. Then she threw the peas down among the ashes, but the, the little maiden ran out at the back door into the garden and cried out, Hither, hither, through the sky, turtle doves and linnets fly, blackbird thrush and chaffing gay, hither, hither, haste away, what it all, come help me quick, hasty, hasty, pick, pick, pick. Then first came two white doves flying in at the kitchen window, next came two turtle doves, and after them came all the little birds under heaven, chirping and fluttering in, and they flew down into the ashes, and the little doves sco scooped their heads down and set to work, pick, pick, pick. Then the others began to pick, 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 and among them soon they all had picked out the good grain and put it into a dish that left the ashes. Long before the end of the hour, the work was quite done, and all flew out again at the windows. The, then Ashputl brought the dish to her mother, overjoyed at the thought that now she should go to the ball. But the mother said, No, no, you slut, you have no clothes and cannot dance. You shall not go. And when Ashputl begged very hard to go, she said, If you can do in one hour's time, pick two of those dishes of peas out of the ashes, you shall go too. And thus she thought she should at least get rid of her, so she shook two dishes of peas into the ashes. But the little maiden went out into the garden at the back of the house and cried out as before, Hither, hither, through the sky, turtle does and linnets fly, blackbird thrush and chaffing gay, hither, hither, haste away, one and all, come help me quick, hasty, hasty, pick, pick, pick. Then first came two white doves in at the kitchen window, Next came two turtle doves, and after them came all the little birds under heaven, chirping and hopping about. And they flew down into the ashes, and the little doves put their heads down and set to work, pick, pick, pick. And the others began, pick, pick, pick. And they put all the good grain into the dishes and left again all the ashes. Before half an hour's time, all was done, and out they flew again. Then Ashputtle took the dishes to her mother, rejoicing to think that now she should go to the ball. But her mother said, it is all of no use. You cannot go, you have no clothes and cannot dance, and you would only put us to shame. And off she went with her two daughters to the ball. Now when all were gone and nobody left at home, Ashputtle went sorrowfully and sat down under the hazel tree and cried out, shake, shake, hazel tree, gold and silver over me. Then her friend the bird flew out of the tree and brought a gold and silver dress for her, and slippers of spangled silk, and she put them on and followed her sisters to the feast. But they did not know her and thought it must be some strange princess. She looked so fine and beautiful in her rich clothes, and they never once thought of Ashput Ashputtle, taking it for granted that she was safe at home in the dirt. 
The king's son soon came up to her and took her by the hand and danced with her and no one else, and he never left her hand. But when anyone else came to ask her to dance, he said, This lady is dancing with me. Thus they danced till a late hour of the night, and then she wanted to go home, and the king's son said, I shall go and take care of you to your home. For he wanted to see where the beautiful maiden lived, but she slipped away from him unawares and ran off towards home, and as the prince followed her, she jumped up into the pigeon house and shut the door. Then he waited till her father came home and told him that the unknown maiden who had been at the feast had hid herself in the pigeon house, but when they had broken open the door, they found no one within, and as they came back into the house, Ashputtel was lying as she always did in her dirty frock by the ashes, and her dim little lamp was burning in the chimney, for she had run as quickly as she could through the pigeon house and on to the hazel tree, and had there taken off her beautiful clothes and put them beneath the tree that the bird might carry them away, and had laid down again amidst the ashes in her little grey frock. The next day, when the feast was again held, and her father, mother, and sisters were gone, Ashputtle went to the hazel tree and said, Shake, shake, hazel tree, gold and silver over me. And the bird came and brought a still finer dress than the one she had worn the day before, and when she came in it to the ball, everyone wondered at her beauty. But the king's son, who was waiting for her, took her by the hand and danced with her, and when anyone else asked her to dance, he said, as before, this lady is dancing with me. When night came, she wanted to go home, but the king's son followed her as before, that he might see where, what house she went into, but she sprang away from him all at once into the garden behind her father's house. In this garden stood a fine, large pear tree full of ripe fruit, and Ashputtel, not knowing where to hide herself, jumped up into it without being seen. <clears throat> then the king's son lost sight of her, and could not find where she had gone, but waited till her father came home and said to him, the unknown lady who danced with me has slipped away, and I think she must have sprung into the pear tree. The father thought to himself, Can it be Ashputtel? So he had an axe brought, and they cut down the tree, but found no one upon it. And when they came back into the kitchen, there lay Ashputtel among the ashes, for she had slipped down on the other side of the tree, and carried her beautiful clothes back to the bird at the hazel tree, and put on her little grey frock. The third day, when her father, mother, and sisters were gone, she went again into the garden and said, Shake, shake, here's a tree, gold and silver over me. Then her kind friend, the bird, brought a dress still finer than the former two, and slippers which were all of gold, so that when she came to the feast, no one knew what to say, for wonder at her beauty, and the king's son danced with nobody but her, and when anyone else asked her to dance, he said, This lady is my partner, sir. When night came, she wanted to go home, and the king's son would go with her, and said to himself, I will not lose her this time. But, however, she again slipped away from him, though in such a hurry that she dropped her left golden slipper on the stairs. The prince took the shoe and went the next day to the king, his father, and said, I will take for my wife the lady that this golden slipper fits. And both the sisters were overjoyed to hear it, for they had beautiful feet, and had no doubt that they could wear the golden slipper. The eldest went first into the room where the golden slipper was, and wanted to try it on, and the mother stood by, but her great toe could not go into it, and the shoe was altogether much too small for her. Then the mother gave her a knife and said, Never mind, cut it off. When you are queen, you will not care about toes. You will not want to walk. So this little silly girl cut off her great toe, and thus squeezed on the shoe, and went to the king's son. 
Then he took her for his bride and set her beside him on his horse and rode her, r- rode away with her homewards. But on their way home they had passed by the hazel tree that Ashputtel had planted, and on the branch sat a little dove singing, Back again, back again, look to the shoe, the shoe it is too small and not made for you. Prince, prince, look again for thy bride, for she is not the true one that sits by thy side. When the prince got down and looked at her foot, and he saw by the blood that streamed from it what a trick she had played him. So he turned his horse round and brought the false bride back to her home, and said, This is not the right bride. Let the other sister try and put on the slipper. When she went into the room and got her foot into the shoe, all but the heel, which was too large, but her mother squeezed it in till the blood came and took her to the king's son, and he set her as his bride by his side on his horse and rode away with her. But when they came to the hazel tree, the little dove sat there still and sang, Back again, back again, look to the shoe, the shoe it is too small and not made for you. Prince, prince, look again for thy bride, for she is not the true one that sits by thy side. Then he looked down and saw that the blood streamed so much from the shoe that her white stockings were quite red. So he turned his horse and brought her also back again. This is not the true bride, said he to the father. Have you no other daughters? No, said he. There is only a little dirty ashbottle here, a child of my first wife. I am sure she cannot be the bride. The prince told him to send her, but the mother said, No, no, she is much too dirty. She will not dare show herself. However, the prince would have her come, and she first washed her face and hands, and then went in and curtsied to him, and he reached her the golden slipper. Then she took her clumsy shoe off her left foot and put on the golden slipper, and it fitted her as if it had been made for her. When he drew near and looked at her face, he knew her and said, This is the right bride. But the mother and both the sisters were frightened and turned pale with anger as he took took Ashputtel on his horse and rode away with her. And when they came to the hazel tree, the white dove sang, Home, home, look at the shoe. Princess, the shoe is made for you. Prince, prince, take home thy bride, for she is the true one that sits by thy side. And when the dove had done its song, it came flying and perched upon her right shoulder, and so went home with her. The Elves and the Shoemaker There was once a shoemaker who worked very hard and was very honest, but still he could not earn enough to live upon, and at last all he had in the world was gone, save just leather enough to make one pair of shoes. Then he cut his leather out, all ready to make up the next day, meaning to rise early in the morning to his work. His conscience was clear and his heart light amidst all his troubles, so he went peaceably to bed, left all his cares to heaven, and soon fell asleep. In the morning after he had said his prayers, he sat himself down to his work, when, to his great wonder, there stood the shoes already made upon the table. The good man knew not what to say or think at such an odd thing happening. He looked at the workmanship. There was not one false stitch in the whole job. All was so neat and true that it was quite a masterpiece. The same day a customer came in, and the shoes suited him so well that he willingly paid a price higher than usual for them, and the poor shoemaker, with the money, brought leather enough to make two pairs more. In the evening he cut out the work and went to bed early, that he might get up and begin betimes next day. But he was saved all the trouble, for when he got up in the morning the work was done ready to his hand. Soon in came buyers who paid him handsomely for his goods, so that he bought leather enough for four pair more. He cut out the work again overnight and found it done in the morning as before, and so it went on for some time, 
what was got ready in the evening was always done by daybreak, and the good man soon became thriving and well off again. One evening, about Christmas time, as he and his wife were sitting over the fire chatting together, he said to her, I should like to sit up and watch tonight, that we may see who it is that comes and does my work for me. The wife liked the thought, so they left a light burning and hid themselves in a corner of the room, behind a curtain that was hung up there, and watched what would happen. As soon as it was midnight, there came in two little naked dwarves, and they sat themselves upon the shoemaker's bench, took up all the work that was cut out, and began to ply with their little fingers, sitching and rapping and tapping away at such a rate that the shoemaker was all wonder and could not take his eyes off them. And on they went till the job was quite done, and the shoes stood ready for use upon the table. This was long before daybreak, and then they bustled away as quick as lightning. The next day the wife said to the shoemaker, Those little, These little whites have made us rich, and we ought to be thankful to them, and do them a good turn if we can. I am quite sorry to see them run about as they do, and indeed it is not very decent, for they have nothing upon their backs to keep off the cold. I'll tell you what, I will make each of them a shirt, and a coat, and a waistcoat, and a pair of pantaloons into the bargain, and do you make each of them a little pair of shoes? The thought pleased the good cobbler very much, and one evening, when all the things were ready, they laid them on the table, instead of the work that they used to cut out, and then went and hid themselves to watch what the little elves would do. About midnight in they came, dancing and skipping, hopping around the room, and then went to sit down to their work as usual. But when they saw the clothes lying for them, they laughed and chuckled and seemed mightily delighted. Then they dressed themselves in the twinkling of an eye, and danced and capered and sprang about as merry as could be, till at last they danced out the door and away over the green. The good couple saw them no more, but everything went well with them from that time onward, as long as they lived. Snow White and Rose Red There was once a poor widow who lived in a lonely cottage. In front of the cottage was the garden, wherein stood two rose trees, one of which bore white roses and the other red. She had two children who were like the two rose trees, and one was called Snow White and the other Rose Red. They were as good and happy, as busy and cheerful as ever two children in the world were, only Snow White was more quiet and gentle than Rose Red. Rose Red liked better to run about in the meadows and fields, seeking flowers and catching butterflies, but Snow White sat at home with her mother and helped her with her housework or read to her when there was nothing to do. The two children were so fond of one another they always held each other by the hand when they went out together, and when Snow White said, We will ne not leave each other, Rose Red answered, Never so long as we live, and their mother would add, What one has she must share with the other. They often ran about the forest alone and gathered red berries, and no beast did them any harm, but came close to them trustfully. The little hare would eat a cabbage leaf out of their hands, the roe grazed by their side, a stag leapt merrily by them, and the birds sat still upon the boughs and sang whatever they knew. No mishap overtook them. If they had stayed too late in the forest and night came on, they laid themselves down near one another upon the moss and slept until morning, and their mother knew this and did not worry on their account. Once, when they had spent the night in the wood and the dawn had roused them, they saw a beautiful child in a shining white dress sitting near their bed. He got up and looked quite kindly at them, but said nothing and went into the forest. 
and when they looked around, they found that they had been sleeping quite close to the precipice, and would certainly have fallen into it in the darkness if they had gone only a few paces further, and their mother told them that it must have been the angel who watches over good children. Snow White and Rose Red kept their mother's little cottage so neat that it was a pleasure to look inside it. In the summer, Rose Red took care of the house, and every morning laid a wreath of flowers by her mother's bed before she awoke, in which was a rose from each tree. In the winter, Snow White lit the fire and hung the kettle on the hob. The kettle was of brass and shone like gold, so brightly was it polished. In the evening, when the snowflakes fell, the mother said, Go, Snow White, and bolt the door. And then they sat round the hearth, and the mother took her spectacles and read aloud out of a large book. And the two girls listened as they sat and spun. And close by them lay a lamb upon the floor, and behind them, per upon a perch, sat a white dove with its head hidden beneath its wings. One evening, as they were thus sitting comfortably together, someone knocked at the door as if he wished to be let in. The mother said, Quick, Rose Red, open the door. It must be a traveller who is seeking shelter. Rose Red went and pushed back the bolt, thinking that it was a poor man, but it was not. It was a bear that stretched his broad black head within the door. Rose Red screamed and sprang back. The lamb bleated, the dove fluttered, and Snow White hid herself behind her mother's bed. But the bear began to speak and said, Do not be afraid, I will do you no harm. I am half frozen and only want to warm myself a little beside you. Poor bear, said the mother, lie down by the fire, only take care that you do not burn your coat. Then she cried, Snow White, Rose Red, come out, the bear will do you no harm, he means well. So they both came out, and by and by the lamb and dove came nearer, and were not afraid of him. The bear said, Here, children, knock the snow out of my coat a little. So they brought the broom and set the bear's hide clean, and he stretched himself by the fire and growled contentedly and comfortably. It was not long before they grew quite at home, and played tricks with their clumsy guest. They tugged his hair with their hands, they put his, their feet upon his back and rolled him about, or they took a hazel switch and beat him, and when he growled they laughed. But the bear took it all in good part, only when they were too rough he called out, Leave me alive, children. Snow white, rose red, will you beat your wooer dead? When it was bedtime and the others went to bed, the mother said to the bear, You can lie there by the hearth, and then you will be safe from the cold and the bad weather. As soon as the day dawned, the two children let him out, and he trotted across the snow into the forest. Henceforth the bear came every evening at the same time, laid himself down by the hearth, and let the children amuse themselves with him as much as they liked, and they got so used to him that the doors were never fastened until their black friend had arrived. When spring had come and all outside was green, the bear said one morning to Snow White, Now I must go away, and cannot come back for the whole summer. Where are you going then, dear bear? said Snow White. I must go into the forest and guard my treasures from the wicked dwarves. In the winter, when the earth is frozen hard, they are obliged to stay below and cannot work their way through. But now, when the sun has thawed and warmed the earth, they break through it and come out to pry and steal, and what once gets into their hands and into their caves does not easily see daylight again. Snow White was quite sorry at his departure, and as she unbolted the door for him, when the bear was hurrying out, he caught against the bolt, and a piece of his hairy coat was, was torn off, and it seemed to Snow White as if she had seen gold shining through it, 
but she was not sure about it. The bear ran quickly away and was soon out of sight behind the trees. A short time afterwards, the mother sent her children into the forest to get firewood. There they found a big tree which lay felled on the ground, and close by the trunk something was jumping backwards and forwards in the grass, but they could not make out what it was. When they came nearer, they saw a dwarf with an old withered face and a snow-white beard a yard long. The end of the beard was caught in a crevice in the tree, and the, young, the little fellow was jumping about like a dog tied to a rope, and did not know what to do. He glared at the girls with his fiery red eyes, and cried, "'Why do you stand there? Can you not come in and help me?' "'What are you up to, little man?' said Rose Red. "'You stupid prying goose,' answered the dwarf. "'I was going to split the tree to get a little wood for cooking. "'The little bit of food that we people get is immediately burnt up with heavy logs.' We do not swallow so much as you coarse, greedy folk. I had just driven the wedge safely in, and everything was going as they wished, but the cursed wedge was too smooth and suddenly sprang out, and the tree closed so quickly that I could not pull out my beautiful white beard. So now it is tight, and I cannot get away, and the silly, sleek, milk-faced things laugh. Ugh, how odious you are. The children tried very hard, but they could not pull the beard out. It was caught too fast. "'I will run and fetch someone,' said Rose Red. "'You senseless goose,' snarled the dwarf. "'Why should you fetch someone? "'You are already too, too many for me. "'Can you not think of something better?' "'Don't be impatient,' said Snow White. "'I will help you.' "'And she pulled her scissors out of her pocket "'and cut off the end of the beard. "'As soon as the dwarf had felt himself freed, "'he laid hold of a bag which lay among the roots of the tree "'and which was full of gold and lifted it up, "'grumbling to himself, "'uncouth people, to cut off a piece of my fine beard.' Bad luck to you. And then he swung the bag up upon, up upon his back, back and went off without even once looking at the children. Sometime afterwards, Snow White and Rose Red went to catch a dish of fish. As they came near the brook, they saw something like a large grasshopper jumping towards the water as if it was going to leap in. They ran to it and found it was the dwarf. Where are you going? said Rose Red. You surely don't want to go into the water. I am not such a fool, cried the dwarf. Don't you see that the accursed fish wants to pull me in? The little man had been sitting there fishing, and unluckily the wind had tangled up his beard with the fishing line, and a moment later a big fish made a bite, and the feeble creature had not the strength to pull it out. The fish kept the upper hand and pulled the dwarf towards him. He held on to all the reeds and rushes, but it was of little good, for he was forced to follow the movements of the fish, and was in urgent danger of being dragged into the water. The girls came just in time. They held him fast and tried to free his beard from the line, but all in vain. Beard and line were entangled fast together. There was nothing to do but to bring out the scissors and cut the beard, whereby a small part of it was lost. When the dwarf saw that, he screamed out, Is that civil, you toadstool, to disfigure a man's face? Was it not enough to clip off the end of my beard? Now you have cut off the best bit of it. I cannot let myself be seen by my people. I wish you had been made to run the soles off your shoes. Then he took out a sack of pearls which lay in the rushes, and without another word he dragged it away and disappeared behind a stone. It happened that soon afterwards the mother sent the two children to the town to buy needles and thread and laces and ribbons. The road led them upon a, across a half, a heath, upon which huge pieces of rock lay strewn about. 
There they noticed a large bird hovering in the air, flying slowly round and round above them. It sank lower and lower, until at last it settled near a rock not far away. Immediately they heard a loud, piteous cry. They ran up and saw with horror that the eagle had seized their old acquaintance, the dwarf, and was going to carry him off. The children, full of pity, at once took tight hold of the little man and pulled against the eagle so long that at last he let his booty go. As soon as the dwarf had recovered from his first fright, he cried out with his shrill voice, "'Could you not have done it more carefully? You dragged at my brown coat so that it is all torn and full of holes, you clumsy creatures!' Then he took up a sack full of precious stones and slipped away again under the rock into his hole. The girls, who by this time were used to his ingratitude, went on their way and did their business in town. As they crossed the heath again on their way home, they surprised the dwarf, who had emptied out his bag of precious stones into a clean spot, and had not thought that anyone would come there so late. The evening sun shone upon the beautiful stones. They glittered and sparkled with all the colours so brilliantly that the children stood still and stared at them. "'Why do you stand gaping there?' cried the dwarf, and his ashen-grey face became copper-red with rage. He was still cursing when a loud growling was heard, and a black bear came trotting towards them out of the forest. The dwarf sprang up in a fright, but he could not reach his cave, for the bear was already close. Then, in the dread of his heart, he cried, "'Dear Mr. Bear, spare me. I will give you all my treasures. Look, the beautiful jewels lying there. Grant me my life. What do you want with such a slender little fellow as I? You would not feel me between your teeth. Come, take these two wicked girls. They are tender morsels for you, fat as young quails. For mercy's sake, eat them.' The bear took no heed of his words, but gave the wicked creature a single blow with his paw, and he did not move again. The girls had begun to run away, but the bear called to them, Snow White and Rose Red, do not be afraid. Wait, I will come with you. Then they recognised his voice and waited, and when he came up to them, suddenly his bear skin fell off, and he stood there, a handsome man, clothed all in gold. I am a king's son, he said, and I was bewitched by that wicked dwarf who had stolen my treasures. I have had to run about the forest as a savage bear until I was freed by his death. Now he has gotten his well-deserved punishment. Snow White was married to him and Rose Red to his brother, and they divided between them the great treasure which the dwarf had gathered together in his cave. The old mother lived peacefully and happily with her children for many years. She took the two rose trees with her, and they stood before her window, and every year bore the most beautiful roses, white and red.